Welcome to Fortitude Live. I am your host, Ian the Rhino, and this is episode 14 of the podcast with Daniel the Raspberry Ape Strauss. Alright guys, this episode I'm so pumped about. I'm pumped about every episode, I say that every time. But this episode in particular is pretty freaking cool. I had the opportunity to um, chat for about an hour and a half with uh, Daniel Strauss, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt out of the United Kingdom. So uh, this was actually the first episode that I recorded via laptop, so it was remote. And I have to say that that is expanding the amount of guests I can have on the show by quite a bit. I had a little bit of reservations about it because the audio quality isn't exactly the same. It's not quite the same as doing it in person, but with COVID and all the restrictions, even though they're being lifted and travel and stuff, it just makes it so much easier. Um, I don't, many of you guys listening to the podcast um, may not follow martial arts. Some of you may, some of you may not. Um, but I, I really wanted to do this podcast because I've been following Daniel's content for a little while. And not only does he do jujitsu, not only has he been a black belt for like the last six or seven years um, and competed at very high levels against some pretty amazing athletes, but he also is big into strength and conditioning, loves lifting stones, loves strongman, some of the strongman implements. So his, um, his sort of, his thing is a pretty well-rounded, um, he's done some really cool stone lifts throughout the UK and Scotland, um, that I think a lot of you guys would find really interesting. And he's huge into grip strength. And I, I actually took a look at, uh, he, after we were done filming, he sent me a link to his, uh, his, uh, course that he sells. Well, it's not really a course. It's like his, um, it's more of like a package, like a grip training package and instruction, instructional and how to on all the different aspects of grip training. And, I don't, I don't know why I didn't, but I like how he dissects it is very, very interesting there. It's so much more complicated, you know, than you realize most people just think grip training is grabbing a gripper and squeezing it a bunch of times, but there's so many more different aspects and the way he breaks it down is really practical and user-friendly and he applies it all to grappling. So if you're a ju- if you're a jujitsu athlete or competitor, or even just a, uh, a recreational practitioner, I think it's something that could really, really benefit you because it's definitely benefiting me. Um, this episode, we chat for like the first 15 minutes. It's a little bit more complex um, in terms of like uh, competition rule sets. And we start talking about a competition that he's doing coming up in uh, this month. And then uh, we start talking a little bit more strength and conditioning and, um, you know, and some different ins and outs of that and, you know, philosophies and that sort of thing. And then we kind of end for the last 20 or minutes of for the last 20 minutes or so about, you know, a little bit more philosophical approach to things and our, our take on things and, you know, martial arts, and how it applies to life. And I draw some parallels between CrossFit and such. So, um, have a listen, uh, make sure to, uh, tag us, post us, uh, like, share, subscribe. Thank you so much to everyone who listens and shows your support. Um, I don't get as much of these podcasts out as I like, but every time I do get one out, I'm super pumped about it. Cause I had a chance to talk to someone that usually I would really enjoy talking to. Um, and, and you know, and it's very authentic and, and it's overall a good positive experience. So, uh, make sure to, if you listen, go follow Dan, um, drop some comments on his page, you know, make sure to tag us both. If you post this on your Instagram 
story. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Anyways, um, I hope you guys enjoy. Take a listen. Enjoy it. So, uh, so what were you? You were coaching, yeah? Uh, I was just training earlier today. Yeah. Training. Okay. Oh, yeah. You guys, you guys have a big event coming up, right? Yeah, so I'm preparing for a Polaris squad event. It's okay. uh, it's the UK versus the USA, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, 17th of July. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, ironically, a buddy of mine lives in Austin, Texas. I was actually just over there. He trains with uh, William and those guys over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I'm very much – I'll just throw this disclaimer out there. I'm very much like I got my feet wet in the jiu-jitsu world – but I've been so like in and out because I, I keep getting these like little injuries and things and they're not like primarily jujitsu related, but um, like a couple of them, like I, I, you know, couple little kimuras and things like tweak my elbow. So I, you know, take a break for a week or roll light or whatever, but like, um, Oh, I'll get into that more later. But, um, but I, I, I just as a disclaimer, I don't I'm not knowledgeable enough yet to where I know the moves by name. Yeah. But like I have a pretty good grasp of the heuristics. So like with your expert level of knowledge, <laughs> I'm pretty sure like I can hopefully bridge the gap between like Perfect. some of the audience <laughs> who has no idea what you're ta- you know, you're talking about if you say something and I but yeah, anyways, man. Um, well, just to get started, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, give people a little bit of an idea of who you are, maybe humble brag a little bit, uh, communicate some of your accomplishments, like just give, throw your shtick out. Yeah, no, I'm not very good at that. But uh, yeah, you know, I've been training, um, I've been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for 15, 16 years now. It's coming up for quite a long time. And uh, How old are you? I have just turned 30. Okay. Oh, same. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, rough age, man. I, I did not take it well. I did not take it well. But so, so so far, it's been okay. The last six months or so have been okay. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. so I've been training jiu-jitsu for about 15, 16 years. And okay. I, um, I have been a black belt for coming up to seven years now. I'm a black belt under Roger Gracie um, here okay. in London, UK. And okay. yeah, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've done relatively well uh, competition-wise. There's a lot, uh, lot less opportunity for big competitions uh, in the UK than there is, obviously, yeah. in, in places like mm. America. Uh, but I managed yeah. to do pretty well. You know, I've been on some big shows, such as uh, qualified for ADCC back in 2011. Done okay. uh, Eddie Bravo Invitational. I've done uh, mm. uh, Quintet. I've been on Polaris a few times. So mm-hmm. I've been around the block a little bit. Do you do mostly no-gi stuff? Yeah. At, at, at the moment, it's sort of... Um, Any reason? Uh, I don't train gi at all. Okay. I'm not trying gi at all. I've probably put the gi on. Um, it kind of sounds crazy, but I've probably put the even just put the gi on. Uh, yeah, yeah, less yeah. than less than I'd say less than 15, 20 times since I got my black belt, which is seven years. So okay. I, I would so, say I would say realistically, I have rolled less than mm-hmm. ten times in the last seven years in the gi. So I just do no gi. Um, yeah, I, I make no qualms with that. Uh, yeah. but yeah, you know, the re- the reason for that really is just cause I enjoy it more. Um, yeah. I don't like the gear and I kind of, there, there was for a very long time when I was sort of uh, colored belts, purple belt and brown belt and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I used to train, well, even earlier in that as blue belt, I used to train much more gear than no gear and I'd only train, sure. 
I'd only trained no gi for when I was preparing for a competition that was no gi and I trained and I competed gi and no gi. It wasn't until uh, Purple Belt where I really started to get a lot more success in no gi in big shows uh, and competitions sure. and tournaments. Um, a lot more success no gi that I was doing more no gi. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I don't even think I ever competed in the gi at Brown Belt. I think yeah. the last gi competition I did was actually at Purple Belt. So it's a very long time ago. Um, but even though I was still... Tr- I would probably say that I was training probably 50, 50 gear, no gear. I was just doing mm. way better, um, in competition, sure. no gear. Uh, yeah. And that kind of had a knock on effect where I just continued to train and train more and more yeah. no gear. And for a while, yeah. I remember for many years, I would train solely no gear before a no gear competition. And then when I co- mm. went back to gear, I loved it. I really missed it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then I trained gear for a while and then I'd go back to no gear and I'd really miss that. And I'd love that. Uh, kind yeah. of like, you know, when you go to the cinema, you get a big box of popcorn and the best yeah. way to do it, in my opinion, anyway, the best way to do it is is sweet and salted and you want it layered because yeah. you, you get used to the sweet stuff and then the salt yeah. hits you and it's perfect. And then sure. just as you're getting used to the salt, the yeah. sweet hits you. That's how it was yeah. for many years, gi and no gi. And then one time mm-hmm. I went back to training gi and I didn't like oh. it. And yeah. I continued trying to push it and I still didn't like it. And that basically never stopped. And that's probably lasted about, you know, seven or eight years. So I just train sure. Nogi now. And, and, and that's what I really uh-huh. love. That's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock that by any means. I, and I'm not even so deep into the, into the, into the sport and the culture that I can even like pass judgment on that at all. <laughs> um, or like have too much of an opinion on it. All I would say is that, um, from what I've noticed and kind of what I've seen, uh, I train here in Miami when I'm able to train at fight sports with cyborg and, uh, and that whole crew and which has been pretty cool and pretty unique to like, see a lot of MMA fighters and cool people come through. Mm-hmm. It seems very much like the gi is becoming more of like an old school thing. And no gi seems to be the, I don't know if I, maybe I would say future. I've, I've been, I listened to your podcast, listened to some of the Danaher podcasts and it's like the pace, the action, there's less stalling. Um, there seems to be a lot more involvement and it's a little bit more relatable to an average person. If you're going to get an audience and this applies to all things from like I, I was pretty heavily involved in CrossFit and there were some offshoots of CrossFit that were trying to get put on TV and get a bigger audience. And it's like you have to make something translatable and relatable to an everyday average person who has never seen this thing before. And it's like, you know, you take a sport like boxing, which is, you know, people punching each other in the face. It's like that's very easily relatable. That's very fast paced. That's very exciting. It's like if you get a, a gi match, you know, from just the ones that I've seen, the limited amount of ones I've seen, you know, it's just two guys kind of pancaking each other and pressuring and stuff like that. A lot of people don't really understand the heuristics at play there and what all's going on. It's like you you don't you very much like a lot of a lot of jujitsu spectators right now are spectators that are also athletes and competitors, so they understand what's going on and I think in bridging the gap to um, to expand that to everyday average people, it has to be more relatable. And I think the nogi is going to be much more relatable and practical for like the everyday people. I think. Yeah, you're spot on, and, and you actually nailed a couple of uh, of points there. Quite a few that you're absolutely 100 percent accurate on. Uh, you know that, and and it's not to say you know there are some 
ski people out there who get very offended when you say stuff like that. Um, sure. You know, Gordon I mean, Ray came out recently and said yeah. uh, 10 years that, you know, Guy will be dead. And I don't think that would be the case. And, um, you, you know, th- there absolutely are some exciting Guy matches. There's no doubt oh, yeah. about that. There are some really excited Guy matches. There's some exciting Guy tournaments. At the end of the day, you know, matchmaking and, and, and the individual determines how a match looks and how... Uh, aesthetically pleasing, for lack of a better term, it is to uh, to to the audience, even for yeah. someone who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. A lot more of that is determined by the individual and who they are in the matchmaking than it is by the style. But I do sure. think that, it, as a generalization, the simplicity of not having the material, uh, yeah. you, you know, the, the intricacies. Yes, there can be some really interesting intricate transitions and positions and you know stuff like the leg leg entanglements can be very very confusing even for people who train let alone for people who have never seen it before um and and especially when these leg entanglements when a leg entanglement happens and it goes into a submission very quickly like you see with for example with a lot of craig jones's stuff then that's really exciting because you know what's going on but then you'll see a lot of people where they're both good leg lockers and there's a lot of rolling and, and 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 foot play there that isn't particularly a, a translatable for an audience yeah. uh, and, the, and and you know you had the same sort of thing in the gi and it can definitely happen much worse in the gi where you get into these battles of grips and you're wrapping up and you're tying the gi into like a you know this intricate puzzle it's going to be yeah. very 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 difficult for people to watch so yeah i do think that you know when you're looking to get the sport out to because that really is the it's a very big hurdle that we have in in, in grappling which is taking the sport mainstream or more mainstream yeah. because yeah. It, it's a very unique sport and, and you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. Boxing is very easy to understand. You don't yeah. have to have ever thrown a punch at someone to know what the idea is. And the sure. same with MMA, you know, e- even with some of the ground stuff and, and, and it's becoming more popular, you know, that the, the, the I always say jujitsu owes a, 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 a completely unpayable debt to MMA for oh, yeah. the exposure and the popularity that that brings oh, yeah. us. It, it really is. We, we have been piggybacking off the success of MMA and we shall continue the piggyback off the success of MMA. You know, one of the ways that I even describe what I do, you know, I'll say I'll, I do jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, grappling. Some people understand that. And if they don't, you know, I'll say I do. You know, if you've ever watched the UFC, if you've ever watched MMA, the stuff that they're doing on the ground, that's what I do. You know, so <laughs> so so we definitely owe a huge debt to MMA for, for yeah. increasing the popularity. But still, you're absolutely right, which is, Almost every single spectator of a grappling will compete in or, or, or will be trained in, in grappling to understand what is going on. It is very, very difficult. And it is sort of this 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 barrier, this invisible wall that jujitsu in professional grappling and spectator grappling is always going to be trying to push through, to break through, to find a way of making grappling entertaining for um for people who don't know what's happening you know you it needs to be flamboyant it needs to be spectacular and actually i think that one of the ways that is uh in my opinion without you fixing matches you know because this is how this is how pro wrestling happened you know Pro, pro wrestling was uh you know two wrestlers would get together and it just wasn't entertaining enough so what would they do they would settle the the real wrestling match the day beforehand that would determine the winner and then when it was actually in front of the audience the winner would already be decided legitimately behind closed doors could be could be a two-hour wrestling match uh, a very boring one with a lot of kind of 
feeling sure. each other out. And then, yeah. you know, when, when it actually came to the show, it would be a 10, yeah. 15 minute, you know, elaborate, completely extravagant, unrealistic match. And that's how we got pro wrestling. And of course, I know some WWE people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 but that is it, you know, that, that is what wrestling had to do to become a billion dollar entertainment yeah. industry and obviously we don't want jujitsu to have to go down that route so you yeah. have to find other ways and i actually think that one of the best ways uh and and it's starting to get popular now is the team events the quintet yeah. and stuff like the polaris squads um and i think uh, you know that because the narrative becomes so interesting yeah. you can be interested and here's the big difference between a, a regular match or even a mm -hmm. tournament and the team event as someone who doesn't necessarily understand what's going on, if you just watch a super fight, two highly touted athletes having a 15-minute grappling match where there's a winner or a loser, uh, if you don't understand what's going on, the entire thing goes over your head. You know, it, it, it means nothing. However, when you have a team event, let's say quintet, for example, five versus five, winner stays on two rounds, and then someone who has no idea anything about the logistics and the technical aspect of grappling can still follow the narrative of what is happening overall. They can go, well, that was a really hard match. He looks really tired and this guy's really fresh. And, you know, if yeah. he takes him out and then he's going to go against the really small guy and then maybe he can take out the small guy and then maybe this team is going to win. And I feel like it, you, you, you know, to make an event interesting, yeah. the, the, so, the spectator watching it needs uh -huh. to be able to feel like they have some concept of what's going on and if yeah. they can't have a concept of what's going on technically and like who's winning and who's losing yeah exactly and and, yeah. and if they can't understand that on the micro level with the individual match but they can understand that on the macro level with how the teams are going and yeah, this yeah. person has five points and this person has three points yeah. and that guy's really good and i think he's going to beat him they can start to feel like they're more involved and i think that's a massive part of what makes sport entertaining which is you feel like you're involved even though you may not have any agency over yeah. the outcome you feel like you're along for the ride you're not just spectating so i feel like uh, at the moment um team events but then again you know you can have team events that uh -huh. are not interesting they need to be matched in a good way and the athletes yeah. need to be going there to bring it so there's a lot going into it but i do hope that we are able to one day break through that barrier yeah like and just to clarify because the team events are very interesting to me how what is the format of that mm -hmm. is it just like i'm sure they don't just pair one 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 like is it like a waterfall kind of thing or yeah, How so, does, what's the structure like? So there's basically two different formats that are um, that are going around at the moment. You have the the original format, which is the quintet format. So that is a event that was uh, organized by a legendary MMA fighter uh, called Kasushi Sakuraba, very very famous, you know, UFC Hall of Fame, uh, a legend in martial arts, and um, he organized this event that I was privileged enough to compete on the first ever event and actually the 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 team that i was on we we won the first event it was uh just incredible and the way that that was it was it, it was four teams of five mm -hmm. and it's a tournament format so there's two rounds and so the the four teams get split into two halves uh mm -hmm. then you have a five on five so you you get your five people lined up the other pe person gets their five people lined up and it's winner stays on mm -hmm. so if you submit someone you stay on the mat and you fight the next person. 
Oh, like, you like submit them. Yeah, so if you submit them, you fight the next person. If you lose, you're out. And if you draw, then you're both out. And yeah. it, and then, of course, whoever wins, uh, you know, basically last man standing for the team wins that round and goes through to the next round. And then those two teams compete in the same format again to see who the winning team was. And and that first event was just uh, was, was really, really exciting. There were great matches, but more than just the matches, the we, we had no idea what was going to happen. We really were. I, I've never been at event, an event before where... Uh, the team that I was on, the Polaris team, we were uh, in the second, um, you know, the, the second semi-finals, basically. So we were in the changing room watching it on the TV, and we were, even though we were competing in the event, all of us were there watching it as fans, just interested to see what would happen. You know, how yeah. is this going to look? This is something yeah. that was dreamed up. It's very, very different from anything that's happened before. We had no idea sure. how it was going to look. So sure. that was the quintet format, and then a lot of other organizations followed that format. And then there's the uh, another format, which Polaris, uh, which is an organization that is in the UK, is sort of the biggest European uh, grappling um, uh, grappling show. Um, and they have played around with the format and come up with their own format that they call squads. And it's teams uh -huh. of eight people. Uh -huh. And there's two 40-minute rounds. So for 40 minutes, you go one against one, and it's the same idea. If you win, you stay. If you lose or draw, you're off. But you keep on going. So you keep, and then you get uh, one point for a win. Um, and it's based. And I think maybe because there's there's uh, four athletes are under 75 kilos and four athletes are under 95 kilos. Even though they all compete together. So if a smaller person submits a bigger person, I think they get three points. I'm not 100 percent sure. So I don't think sure. it's ever happened. But I think that's the way. And then basically at the end of the there's a 40 minutes and then there's a break another 40 minutes and it's whoever's got the most points at the end. So really, there's so many different things that can happen. That's that sounds really freaking interesting to have basically like a first half, a second half, and you just fight for what an hour and a half total or an hour and That's 20 it. minutes. You, 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 yeah, exactly. Hour 20 minutes. It's just continuous action. Uh, you know, as soon as one match is over, the next match starts over and over again for 40 minutes. And they, they, they've had two events so far. And I think a lot of it comes down to the balance in the team. So for example, yeah. the first ever event that they did, uh, the teams were pretty equally balanced and they yeah. ended up having 80 minutes of grappling and only one submission in that 80 minutes. So uh, even though the matches, the matches are only five minutes. So they're very wow. high paced. There's no, yeah. you know, there's no need to try and hold back anything and any energy yeah. like that. You can just go for it. And, uh, and, 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 I and can see that second half getting exhausting though. Well, you have quite a long break, you know, once you're out, you've got seven true, other true. people that are going to go. True. So, uh, definitely a lot more rest than you're going to get, uh, okay. uh, if you were competing in a tournament, for example. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it can be if you, if, if you start winning lots of matches in a row, um, but the, the first event they had that was Nogi, there was only one submission in 80 minutes. It kind of, you know, some people really liked it because it was it was very fast paced the whole time. For me personally, I felt like you got to have lots of submissions. The next event they did, and it goes back to something we were talking about earlier, which was uh, the Gi versus Nogi. In the Gi event they had, the 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 sides were a little bit less even and there were a lot of submissions. Sure. Uh, so it was a lot more exciting, but not only was it... Um, you know, not not only the, the European team was very very strong, but they had some excellent, very 
uh, exciting. Some of the most exciting gear grapplers, guys like Tommy Lanica in the world competing on that team. So it made for a really fun event. And one of the craziest things was because it's for 40 minutes, you, uh. you keep on going. The, the last match ended and because there had been some submissions, the final match, there was 26 seconds left on the 40 minute clock. So these two athletes came out and they were scheduled to have a 26 second match, which ah. is just like this crazy scenario. Yeah, there's just... no other, there's no other way. There's no other format out there where you could end up with two athletes stepping on the mat with the maximum duration of the match being 26 seconds. And I said, I was commentating on the event and I said, you're about to see the first ever, mainly, may, maybe the only ever 26 second <laughs> match. And, you know, they were both going to try and submit each other. And yeah. I tell you what, it was the most exciting 26 seconds you'll see of grappling anytime soon. Yeah. So I mean, that's about as vicious as it gets. <laughs> like, and, and you know what? It, the, it got close to being in a submission as well. So yeah, it was, like, uh, it was really cool. That's like just, I mean, it's almost like striking at that point. <laughs> yeah, they're going for it. Because it's just arms and legs flowing and stuff. <laughs> well, damn, man. Well, I, that was that was all super interesting. Let uh, let me. I want to rewind a little a little bit because because um, I I found something or I thought of something that's kind of interesting to me. You were talking about you're 30. You've been doing this for 15, 16 years. Now in Brazil and certain parts of the U.S., it's you know jujitsu is very very popular nowadays. It's getting it's getting more and more popular. It's like you you Google search a jujitsu gym on the uh, on Google Maps and they pop up all over the place. Um, but in the U.K., I would think that it took a little bit longer to get over there. Obviously, it's just the culture is a little bit different. You know, it's like a lot of a lot of south american culture is comes into the us cuz of the proximity but then you have a whole ocean for it to get across how does now 15 years ago i would think it would even be less so so how does one such as yourself find yourself in a jiu jitsu gym yeah. to where you catch the bug and just like go from there yeah no and you're absolutely right spot on on everything again which is uh, you know brazilian jiu jitsu is an incredibly young sport yeah it's a young sport full stop Outside of Brazil, it's an even younger sport. Yeah. In America, it's it's even younger than that. And obviously, mm -hmm. in the UK, it's even younger than it is in America. So, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu has realistically been in the UK for, you know, 25 years maximum yeah. and mm -hmm. very, very small. And uh, so, you know, when you look at something that young you know, the growth is big. And, and in America, obviously a lot more Brazilians moving over to America. It was taken up a lot faster. The culture in America is quite a, um, you know, there's a, I feel like there's a huge difference in um, the emphasis that an Americans put on sports, but also the uh, cultural acceptance of wrestling already being in oh, yeah. the sort of, you know, in the curriculum in schools, yep. you know, wrestling is something that is, a real integral part of um, American youngsters. Whereas in the UK, we have absolutely no culture of any pugilistic arts whatsoever. Of course, we did have a, a, a really big culture of boxing in schools. You know, all youngsters a few generations ago would be into boxing or would do some sort of boxing, but that has very much died out. And we have, uh, you, you know, a relatively soft in that sense, society so yeah, jiu-jitsu yeah. definitely doesn't uh hasn't taken off as fast as it has in the u.s and obviously in the u.s sure. everything's bigger and uh and, and and grows much bigger and faster uh but well, yeah audience for everything it's yeah so absolutely audience you know seeing see, see the uh comparing the uh university or college as you guys call it 
the the college sports that you guys have where you're filling stadiums of a hundred thousand people and you go and watch yeah. you go and watch a university sport event event in the UK and it's uh there's yeah. nobody there. There's no like there's a no, thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, 15 years ago, the sport was really different. And, uh, you know, I kind of say I fell into it. It almost found me a little bit. Uh, you know, in my in my early teens, I was interested in doing martial arts. I'd never done in, uh, martial arts as a kid when a lot of people do do martial arts, mm. be it karate or judo or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We still, judo would be the one, the closest thing we have to, to uh, okay. a, a combat sports that is almost... You know, a little, you know, quite well known in the UK, but it's that's not massive. That's an interesting sport itself, man. It is absolutely, yeah. yeah. You so know that that that's what that's what gave birth to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So, yeah. Uh, but but uh, so I never did martial arts as a kid, and when I was in my teens, I got quite interested. And basically, the way that I got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was I didn't get into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I got into traditional or Japanese Jiu Jitsu, and um, I was there for a few months. And basically, one of the instructors at the club that I was at. He had already found the light, so to speak. He had started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was a blue belt under Roger Gracie at the time. And he would still train at the club, but he, he wouldn't teach the Japanese. It's one of those things when you've done Japanese Jiu-Jitsu for, say, 10 years, and then suddenly you find Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you find out that you, you, you've been following the wrong path the whole time. What's the uh, difference between the two, just for people listening? Yeah, so, yeah, so you, you know... The, I, this is the most common question. What is the difference between the two? And it, it would be easier for me to tell you the similarity between the two, which sure, is, sure. and very simply, it's the name. You, you know, it's, there are no other similarities between yeah. the two of them. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is what I would refer to as a combat sport. Mm -hmm. You know, in the same category that I put wrestling, judo, sambo, boxing, kickboxing, yeah. MMA, whereas uh, traditional or Japanese Jiu-Jitsu would be placed in the what is considered a traditional martial art where you put the sort of self-defense stuff, the Aikidos, the, 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 the softer forms of karate and Taekwondo, of course, karate and Taekwondo done properly. The proper forms can be, would be considered a combat yeah. sport, but obviously the watered down versions yeah. uh, are, are, are becoming ever more common. So Japanese Jiu Jitsu, you know, uh, doing, you know, someone someone's going to swing at you with a couple of hooks and you're going to do some crazy blocks and throws and stuff like that. No okay. sparring. And, and basically the difference between the easiest way to tell whether you're doing a, a combat sport or a traditional martial art is do you do sparring every class? Yeah. If you do sparring every class, then you're in the right place. You're doing a combat sport. If you're not, then you're probably doing a traditional martial art. Very, very simple test. So anyway, and I was I was doing I was doing the traditional martial art for a while and one of the instructors there uh, had, had already found the light with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And oh. one, one day, the main instructor left, and this other instructor took over, who's Nick Brooks, uh, my instructor to this day. And, and and that was kind of the rest was history. For a while, he implemented sort of a hybrid system. We do a little bit of traditional Jiu-Jitsu. We did a little bit of stick stuff, knife stuff. And then we did a little bit of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. And then after doing that for maybe probably about six months, he said, uh, I'm just going to do this pure Jiu-Jitsu. And, and that was it. That's how we. That's how I got into it. It found me. I never found it. Never, never went out looking for it. I was already there, and it and it grabbed me. That's interesting. I think you know. I think um, a distinction that I would almost make is I feel like you know you're talking about the combat martial arts versus some of the traditional ones, and and I feel like the the like the difference that I feel like, and I could be wrong here because I'm still very much an amateur, but I feel like that differentiate one of the differentiating distinctions is that 
the traditional ones are practical in theory, but not so much an application. Yeah. And the like the the there's a few like the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and you know maybe a couple others that are that are practical in application so much so that they are pretty much like the main like like MMA is pretty much sorted out what is not so practical versus what is more completely practical and like maybe there's still unique situations where some of the traditional ones will still apply but not so much all the time as like some of these other ones like brazilian jiu-jitsu and we tie and things like that that are just like so brutally practical in their application yeah you know a hundred percent and uh it's sort of how evolution goes you know um yeah. The, the way natural selection works is as soon as a um, as soon as an individual has a attribute that makes him fitter than the rest of the population, very quickly it will spread and it will take over and it would essentially destroy it, which is really what has happened to um, traditional martial arts. And, you know, it, it can be a shame. You know, there are still reasons to do some martial arts, some traditional martial arts because sure. of there's a historical aspect to it. Mm -hmm. There's a cultural aspect of it. Yeah. There's maybe even spiritual aspects to some of it, mm -hmm. but it must be sold as what it is. It yeah. is something that is not practical, which you're hundred percent like right. It, it, yeah, exactly. And, and, and don't try and sell it as anything else, you know, yeah. and, and uh, it, it absolutely comes down to the practicality. Um, you know, even you're, you're trying to be a bit nice there and saying in some scenarios, those, those martial arts may, may be useful, but, even then not really and it when it comes down you know the reality is and and the reason why the sports here's the crazy thing it's all of the sports not the fighting death kill you know self-defense stuff the reason all these sports are actually more practical is because they are sports mm -hmm. the, the the biggest factor between making something work and making something not work is being able to test it every single sure. day Sure. That is the only way you know, because if I show you a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu technique, you might go, that's an awesome technique. And then you try and use it and it never works once. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you know it doesn't work and it doesn't enter your game and you'll never try it again. Yeah. So without that, and of course, this is sort of the, 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 the paradox almost, which is you make a martial art technique, which is so difficult dangerous or deadly let's say a, a a punch or a strike to the neck or you're biting someone's nose off or you're gouging someone's eyes out all of these really vicious techniques you make them so deadly and vicious and nasty that they cannot be practiced yeah like, you sure. know they cannot be sparred with and when you yeah. can't spar with it you never get good at doing it so sure. it's sort of ironic that actually the stuff that was made jujitsu boxing you know, judo, all of these martial arts, they were made to be safe so you mm. could compete and make it a sport. Yeah. But in making them a sport, you get this pressure testing and this constant tr uh, training against resistant opponents. They actually become a far superior form of self-defense as well. It's so interesting. That is an interesting paradox. Mm. Huh. So, so whenever you 
started you you know you were younger you were probably you know how big were you when you started like height weight that sort of thing i i was 50 kilograms so to put that in, <laughs> in perspective to if i worked that out in pounds that's 110 pounds <laughs> my uh a girl i used to date was 115 pounds <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so so um so you started you're a smaller guy now at what point you obviously changed since then the the my background is you know i've been lifting weights training playing sports since i was single digits and for me an element of strength and conditioning has always played a massive role in my ability to succeed at an above average level kind of regardless of whatever sport i've played mm. so and interestingly enough, what got me into jujitsu personally was maybe about a year ago. I was I was big into CrossFit, went to the games a couple of years, kind of transitioned into powerlifting because I just like on it like in an interesting kind of parallel how you mentioned MMA has turned people onto jujitsu. CrossFit kind of turned me onto the barbell because mm -hmm. I just naturally had a predisposition to be strong. So I switched to powerlifting because I was like hey, let's see what happens if I actually do just this one thing. Ended up doing powerlifting, pro progressed pretty quick at it. Uh, hit a 2,001-pound total, which is wow. like a 900-something kilogram. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and, and that was like my fourth or fifth meet. Took me like, you know, maybe I covered about 200 or a little over 200 kilograms in like a couple of years wow. and hit that total a year ago. And got done with that. And like that 2000 pounds was like my big goal. And I was like, after that, it was like, yeah, I could probably do 2050 or maybe 2100, you know, as my, as soon as my body's healthy, that sort of thing. But it was like, it didn't exactly have that same zest or like that same kind of, it's like, once you get your black belt, it's like, what, what, how, how it's like, that was kind of my, the black belt of powerlifting in my mind mm. to where like, okay, maybe you get that first stripe or that second stripe, but how much do those really matter compared to when you actually get the belt itself kind of thing? Mm. So I, I did all this stuff and I'm strong, I'm conditioned, I'm flexible. And I wrestled in high school and I have this big base. And so I was like, I was like, you know what? I need to do something different. And I had told myself, I always told myself that like the martial arts community that was one area when I was like 20 before I was going to get into CrossFit, I was in college. Um, I didn't want to go to college for sports. I wanted to go for education and then just do an athletic pursuit on the side. And I actually dabbled in MMA a little bit until my mom found out that I was doing it. And she was like, you're not doing that. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to help you pay your rent. If, uh, if you're going to get your teeth knocked out that we spent money on to give you braces for. So I found uh, CrossFit. I found CrossFit and I was a little more conducive, but like now I'm 30 and I pay my own way. And, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to revisit this. And ironically, I was in an L I was in the elevator, in my apartment building. And this guy, uh, shout out Victor Doria. Uh, this guy was on the elevator and I looked at him and I was like, let me guess. Is yeah, well, of course. And, and, I, and I, but I like how I care how he carried himself. He was a Brazilian guy, you know, his skin. He looked a little bit like rough and kind of tough. And I was like, I looked at him. And I was like, I don't know what he does. I could guess he does something, but I, I like, I'm pretty big, dude. But I wouldn't want to fuck with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, in one, I saw him a couple of times, and it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, he could be a real mean guy, and I don't want to bother him. But one day I was like, I, I looked at him, and I was like, yo, you do something, don't you? And he was like super nice and starts telling me yeah. all about it. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to try that. And he's like, dude, I'm going today. Like, you should come. And I was like, no shit. He's like, yeah, come on. I'll introduce you to everybody. I'm friends with them. He's like, he runs a supplement company and is, is you know, does business stuff with them and whatnot. And he, he's like a black belt of like 20 years himself. No. And uh, he was like, yeah, meet me uh, downstairs and we'll go up. So I go and uh, takes me up, met Cyborg and all those guys. And and I like tried it a little bit, um, got kind of ho got hooked, did the fundamentals class, which I think is amazing that they do a fundamentals class mm -hmm. and um, graduated from that. And then, of course, it's been kind of like off and on since um, just because of like, you know, trying to balance that and powerlifting and life and all kinds of things. I'm still very much hooked. It's more so like a prioritization thing, like being healthy. But um, but I, I, I did this thing and um, shit, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. But, um, oh, yeah, strength and conditioning, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, like, so I've I developed this machine. I got into, into jujitsu, and this is kind of something that I was really interested in talking to you about and kind of to tie into the fact that you were talking about how, um, how it's such a new sport. Mm. I've had a lot of unrelated situations where I've been around MMA athletes, um, jiu-jitsu athletes, martial artists, and for the life of me, the thing that I haven't been able to piece together is why their strength and conditioning methods are so damn rudimentary and yeah. not good. Like they're not, they're not, they're not where they need to be. And I look at all these athletes and I look at their insane level of skill and the degree of talent that they have. And I see how they're training their strength and their conditioning. And I'm just like, dude, you would be, if you strength and condition correctly, had some proper periodization in how you compete and how you train uh, in season, off season, that sort of thing. If you applied like some traditional principles to your martial art game, which I'm sure a lot of guys at the very, very high level are doing, but the overwhelming majority, I don't think are, because mm -hmm. there's some complexity to that. Like the, the amount that it would elevate their ability to, it would just, it would be staggering because I, I, you know, and I'll bring up a, a, I'm sure you have some things to say about this, but I want to bring up a, a specific point. Uh, an old gym I used to work at nearby, it was a 24 hour facility. It was pretty small, pretty local, pretty private. And this was like a year or two ago. And Conor McGregor came down to Miami uh, one night. It was it was the night that uh, that he I think he got in a fight with someone, smashed his cell phone, got arrested. Yep. It's like a couple years ago, and uh, made it. They made a big deal about it. And he came in town, and the the manager who I was friends with at the time was like, "Dude, it was this big deal because he got this weird, mysterious phone call in the middle at like nine, ten, or eleven p.m." saying that like a VIP guest wants to come train at the gym. And he's like, Oh, this is like, I thought it was, he's like, I thought it was a prank call. They're like, would you open the gym for us? He's like, no dude, it's 11 PM. Like I'm not opening the gym. He's like, would you open it for Conor McGregor? And he's like, yeah, actually I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go there and I, I like went there with them. Cause I was like, why am I not? I'm going to go and pretend I'm working there also. Cause I want to yeah. meet the guy. We go there and I see the training that he's doing and not to like, publicly knock his training or anything. I'm sure there's a methodology to it, 
but it looked very like for for what and he could have just been wanting to move or he could have just been wanting to go in train blow some steam off lift some lightweights but he did kind of like a five exercise circuit and some of the stuff that he was doing i thought man for the hour that you're in here i could have shown you like i don't i don't even know anything about martial arts i don't even know anything yeah. about it at that time but looking at your body, seeing how you move, just from the knowledge that I have from in terms of like power output, force generation, strength, this sort of thing, I could have shown him like three or four different things that would have been about a thousand times more practical and things to improve his hip strength, improve his core strength, anti-rotation, like all kinds of stuff that would have translated to his game better than what he did and I thought about that and I sat there and I thought to myself and I said, damn, if somebody with this much behind him and this much money is training, like is strength and conditioning isn't where it could be. It's like, it just blew my mind because mm -hmm. I was like, he should like, there should, it just like made me think about it. And I was like, I feel like a lot of these top level guys maybe maybe like a lot of i feel like a lot of people in the industry at that level like maybe if they're going to get trained by someone maybe there's some word of mouth that goes on and somebody knows a guy who knows a guy and they're like hey let my boy train you kind of thing and maybe they're not so much of an expert and it's maybe more so who they knew that got them in that position where they're working with this phenomenal athlete and i'm just like damn like i don't you know and may maybe this person is like more of an old school guy that's been around and that's why the hell they know a lot of people. So it's like the methods they're using with this phenomenal athlete might be a little outdated or something, but it's like, I saw that with him. I've seen that with some jujitsu athletes and how they train. And I'm just like, and looking at some of your content, I'm like, okay, this guy like has it figured out a little bit, but like this guy has it figured out. And I'm like, cause I see what all these other athletes do. And I'm like, I, you know, I walk into a gym and obviously I'm coming from like pure strength and conditioning where the, the volume and the intensity isn't spread around so much. So it's like, it makes sense that I might be a little bit more developed, but I'm just like, and obviously, you know, then you get into the whole topic of skill versus attributes and all that, which that's a whole nother subject, but it's like, damn, like how much more better would all of these athletes be if their strength and conditioning just stepped it up to where it needs to be not even like in volume the amount in just terms of like yeah. if you have three hours a week yeah the quality if you just if you have three hours a week you don't really need and you can't really afford too much more than that if you're rolling with any kind of frequency it's like if you're doing exactly what you need to be doing in that time period like how much more is it going to elevate the hell out of your game that yeah. was a lot <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, there was a lot to unpack there, uh, even yeah. going back to like at the beginning of that, of that. But I won't bite on everything. I'll just kind of cover sure. the main thing you're talking about. Sure. But yeah, you know, sure. absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that point about uh, firstly, I think there's a big difference between MMA and, uh, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in terms sure. of the yeah. approaches to strength and conditioning and why there's such a issue or why there are i think that the issue is much more in brazilian jiu-jitsu than it is in mma when it comes to connor specifically i think connor is someone who i think you're spot on with that i think you know strength and condition is probably being taken care of by someone who is in with the people that he's in with um and connor 
I don't know him personally, but he definitely seems like a bit of a, um, he seems to surround himself with yes men. Sure. So I think that Connor probably does more of what he wants to do opposed to what he should be doing these days. And what he's doing now may not be what he was doing to get him to the place that he, you know, that, that, that he got to. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know yeah, him personally. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. But I, I would suggest that with Connor, that could be a, a one of the things. I think that yeah. the MMA is way further ahead than jiu-jitsu. You know, you have some guys yeah. doing some really good stuff. Um, like I've the, seen some of the stuff John Jones has been doing lately. He's and, working with Stan Efferding. You know, yeah. can can you get a better guy than that to take care of your strength yeah. and conditioning and your and your and your diet as well? You know, Stan's yeah. Stan's you know just 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 the awesome guy and a genius when yeah. it comes to that stuff so yeah, jones yeah. is definitely uh uh is on point i think the work that the ufc performance institute are doing are really cool you know i know uh the guy who runs the U- the ufc performance institute in china um okay. uh, a guy called dean amasinger he's an ex-fighter and mm-hmm. strength and conditioning coach he's done a lot of work with rugby teams as well around the world and yeah. they just take a really scientific a really modern approach to it they do testing they do you know it's and, and they put out something i haven't gone through it recently but they put out like a lot of research that they've done recently but some really interesting resources that are coming out they're not just training guys but also sort of studying the the, the physiological needs in mma athletes so I think that MMA is further ahead uh, yeah, that you have, yeah. and because there's a lot more money in MMA, and therefore you have uh, a sure. lot more coaches specialising in combat sports athletes that are working with MMA people compared to jiu-jitsu yep. people. Now, when it comes to jiu-jitsu, I remember many years ago before I was even particularly knowledgeable. Um, you know, I kind of just had the basics of strength and conditioning. I remember watching some videos of some very top level and jacked, shredded, beastly jiu-jitsu athletes and i saw their strength and conditioning and even then i could not believe how bad it was i could not believe how bad it was and that is like you know and there's kind of two schools uh when it comes to this which is number one is they don't really put any emphasis on um strength and conditioning work it's usually a couple of pull-ups you know on uh on, on, you know a couple of pull-ups at the end of a session you know, maybe they chuck their gear over a pull-up bar and do some pull-ups or they climb some rope at the end of the session. Something very rudimental. And that, I think that comes from, you know, you need to understand the culture of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is even though, obviously, we we all realize now and I think everyone understands and everyone implements it now, back when Jiu-Jitsu was being popularized, uh, even though the most successful Gracies did do some strength and conditioning work, you know, Hicks and Gracie was in fantastic shape, for example. Sure. Uh, they, they sold Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as this martial yeah. art where you don't need to be strong. It would almost be, se- it would almost be seen as hypocritical yeah. for them to, uh, for them to be big into strength and conditioning whilst also teaching that you don't need to be big and strong to do this martial art. Yeah. So I think that the marketing strategy of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the early days was Game very bag. detrimental to the uh, cultural um, uh, acceptance, understanding and progress of sort of additional strength and conditioning work. Yeah. Uh, then the other thing that I saw when, when people were doing more stuff and it was just very, very bad stuff, a lot of machines, a lot of just yeah. like bodybuilding, bodybuilding yeah. basically. And, and I genuinely think that a lot of it comes down to the fact that these guys in Brazil uh, it is, you know, and I'm not saying it's it's not common in el- uh, elsewhere, but in Brazil, steroids are very, very mm. popular. Yeah. 
The, um, the whole beach body kind of Venice beach style bodybuilding community. That's very much synonymous with that culture as well. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, that they, they are, you know, I've been to Brazil. It is no, it's not a stereotype. It's real. They are yeah. obsessed with how they look. The yeah. women have women, big, yeah. big behinds, big fronts <laughs> as well. Yeah. They're all very, very tanned. The guys yeah. are all massive, you know, yeah big traps shredded and, and, and steroids are very easily to get uh, easy to get over there. And, um, you, you know, it, it's almost, it would be the same as us, you know, if someone asking over in, in Brazil, do you take steroids would be the same as me asking someone in the UK, do you take protein shakes after training? Yeah. It was that. So I think a lot of that comes down to when you're, when you have so much chemical enhancement, yeah. the quality of your strength and conditioning programs may be, play a little bit less of a role yeah, yeah. which is which is you know one of the reasons why i personally look to sort of the the pre-steroid era of strongmen and wrestlers to see what they were doing to influence a lot more of my training because you know there's, there's a lot of training of, of people that if you're not enhanced you just cannot realistically train yeah. in that style so Completely. i think that that's kind of a couple of issues with uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu strength and conditioning. It, I think it is getting better. It will continue to get better as it goes in, you know, America. If you look at the, um, if you look at the culture of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for Brazil and Brazil itself versus wrestling in America, wrestlers are always in fantastic shape, even though the strength and conditioning that some of them do may seem rudimental for today's standard. They have already Put, they have always put a very high uh, uh, or significant emphasis on strength and conditioning and cardio and, and, and all of that stuff and, 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 and the big lift. So I think that as more jujitsu gets filtered through America, which is what it is, you know, the United States is acting as a filter for yeah. the, 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 the generations of grapplers to come are all going to be coming out of America. Even the Brazilians are being influenced by the culture in America. And I think we should see uh, the, 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 the knowledge and the um, specificity of yeah. strength conditioning for combat sports uh, uh, improve. And th then the other final thing when it comes to uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is something that I've kind of definitely pondered on a lot, which is the when you look at an athlete such as a boxer, and MMA athlete is less so. So we'll ignore MMA. But if you look at a boxer, if you look at an American football player, if you look at a basketball player, if you look at all of these sports, every single athlete basically looks the same. Obviously, I, I think I believe that um, uh, American football is similar to rugby where you have different positions. So yeah. you'll have some athletes who are very, very fast and some mm -hmm. athletes who are very big and strong. Same as rugby. But if you if you look at a lot of sports, most of the athletes, so boxing is a great example where all of the athletes are going to need to be very explosive, very powerful, very good cardio for many rounds, very light on their feet. Then you look at some ratio. Exactly, exactly. Then you look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And here's the thing. The, the, the huge difference in style of grappling is going to have a huge difference in the, uh, the, 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 the necessary work that you're going to have to do to strengthen those styles so for example yeah. i always used you know i'm a little less sprightly than i was say five six years ago but um if you compared say my myself who was quite dynamic quite fast really like to move a lot when i rolled sure. compared to my instructor who was you know his nickname was the sloth you know very very slow he like uh, you know so so when you're looking at him you're thinking isometrics you're thinking strength 
slow holding movements when he needs to. And then you might look at another athlete, like let's say like a Rodolfo Vieira, for example, when he was competing, very, very dynamic. This guy's going to be, have to be doing explosive stuff, plyometrics. So the big difference in the individual style, you know, obviously a good strength and conditioning program and, and kind of coming back to what you were talking about earlier, which is, be, the fact that you have always had a good base of strength and conditioning has translated to every different sport that you've done. And that's kind of the whole thing with a well-rounded athlete will be able to take that athleticism to any sport. It doesn't matter. But yeah. then when you're looking at individuals and you go, I need to, I want to get this person on a strength and conditioning program, but he's very slow and strong. Yeah. It's going to be on a different program than that. So I think sure. that that muddies the water a little bit when it comes to strength and conditioning for jujitsu. Like, like adapting their program to fit their style of play. Yeah. But you know, then, then you can always argue the opposite, which is uh, you, you grapple really slowly because you have no explosiveness. So do yeah. actually, do we do the opposite? Do we train your yeah. explosiveness because your isometrics are already good? But then, you know, it's, it's, it's a really complicated issue. You know, if you're talking to a, a, a grappler who grapples with a very slow style, do you, you, do, do, do you double down on their strengths or do you try and change their weaknesses and maybe even change their game? Who, who knows? Who knows if there's a correct answer for that? Yeah, I think, and I think like I've been, I've thought about this pretty heavily because since I started doing it, it's like okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm obviously going to adapt it for myself. My kind of personal take on things is that, and and this is kind of how I feel about it, is that you will not like first you have to kind of think about you know how much time you're going to roll, how much time you're going to train. Obviously, in the off season, I would assume that one would roll a little bit less, like maybe not less, just less intense and maybe strength and condition a little bit more. Cause if you want to develop your non-specific adaptations, then you need to spend a little bit more time, a little bit more intensity there and a little bit less elsewhere. Um, but obviously when you're in season, you're, you're roll, you know, rolling, fighting, that takes a little bit more priority and you're thinking more. So let me maintain as much of my physical adaptation as possible. If not, just slow down the regression. Maybe a little regression happens. That's fine. But when it comes to non-specific and specific, whenever I think jujitsu, in my mind, you don't get any more specific than when you're actually on the mat. Yeah. In terms of like, in terms of like conditioning, um, in terms of uh, like the movement patterns, balance, dexterity, body awareness, that sort of thing. So in my mind, the time on the mat that you're sparring, that in my mind takes care of almost the overwhelming majority of that kind of stuff, which then, and th that's the positions that you're in or the positions that I see or that I feel like I'm in when I roll are very, are very, they promote certain kinds of muscle groups, uh, a lot of anterior chain, hip flexors, abs, a lot of everything on the front of you. And one of the notable things when I see guys that do jujitsu primarily as their exercise is that the back of them is very underdeveloped. And so that would lend me to believe that these people are potentially at risk for low back injuries, shoulder injuries, neck injuries, because they don't have, you know, a developed posterior chain, rear delts, upper back, that sort of thing. So when I think about like, you know, when I start to kind of look at the big picture of things, 
I look at strength and condition, the, the, however many hours you devote to strength and conditioning per the frequency and intensity of your jujitsu rolling as a time to be as non-specific as possible mm -hmm. and as oriented towards what you're not training when sure, you're yeah. rolling. And so I look at that and I think, okay, you need, you need to be like at that point with the wear and tear that one's body takes when they're grappling at that point, your strength and conditioning almost needs to fulfill a role of like strengthening these weak muscle groups and almost like physical therapy to an extent yeah. for like injury resistance. And so it's like, okay, if you have three hours a week, what are the number, what are the most important things that you're going to be doing? It's probably going to be stuff to develop the attributes that you're not hitting there. You're going to be wanting to train your back, your upper back, your glutes, your hamstrings, like maybe your legs a little bit, like obviously, you know, the amount of grip training you can handle perhaps without getting something like bicep tendonitis. Um, you know, you're going to want to train your shoulders, your scapula, that sort of thing. I see that. And I see a lot of you know, and when we talk about some of the programs out there, I see a lot of over specifying to the point that it becomes in, in people's training, that it becomes almost like it's just kind of fatiguing people without really pushing adaptation, maybe because like when you're when you're strength and conditioning, you're you're pushing an output and you can't really elicit adaptation unless you push that output in a realm that your body deems it necessary to grow and adapt to. And it's like, you know, there's obviously, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to develop strength more than like, if, if I'm fighting a guy that's, you know, 150, 200 pounds, but then I like, that's going to obviously make me a little bit stronger if I'm not that strong, but it's like only so much because it's not like I'm actually putting myself in a position of leverage to actually move that guy's total body weight. So it's like whenever I'm in, whenever I'm going to go train and I want to improve my strength to make his 200 pound body feel light. And like, it's using, like I'm using no energy barely to do what I want with him. Then I want to be utilizing exercises there that I'm going to be able to move like, you know, 250 pounds, 300 pounds, 350 pounds, in a safe way where I have good leverage to lift it with good mechanics, obviously as safe as possible because we don't need to get hurt training for the thing that yeah. can actually hurt us. But it's like, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people just shooting themselves in the foot with over specificity. And it's like, you know, you're, you're, that's a jujitsu itself is as specific as you're going to get. And you need to be thinking about all the attributes that you don't have whenever you have that tiny, tiny chunk of time to ward off injury to develop these other attributes. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, that, that, that whole idea, that is it. It's finding the balance between overloading the stuff that you want to be strong for the sport and then also building the stuff that the sport won't give you. And a great example of that and something that I always tell people because I get the question so often, I go, you know, the question is, you know, I train grip so much and you mentioned it. Uh, do I suffer from tennis elbow? And mm. I go, I don't suffer from tennis elbow. And they go, that's not fair. I don't do any grip training and I suffer from tennis elbow from just doing grappling. And I go, well, that's the point. Yeah. My, my, when I do grip training, because, and, and this is everything that you're saying, but just specifically for, you know, the, 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 the arms, basically the lower arms or sure, kind sure. of bicep downwards, which is when I train my grip training, 
obviously in grappling, especially in the gi, it's flexes, 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 flexes all the time, you know, squeeze, 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 and big, big flexes, and then nothing work in the extensors. And it's that imbalance that gives you these problems in the elbow. So they're going, well, if I went home and outside of my grappling, I just trained stronger flexes, 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 flexes at home, then I'm going to have a big problem. And this is when I've had people message me who's say I started training grip training and my tennis elbow has got worse or my tennis elbow has suddenly appeared and it wasn't there before. And I go, well, what are you doing? And they're going, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And they're doing the same variations of this. Yeah. There are different variations of closing your hand. (laughs) So I go, well, no, you, you do want to train some closing the hand stuff because you want to overload what you're using on the mats but even more importantly is i'm going to be doing the opposite i'm going to be working the extensors and that can be you know sometimes if 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 someone is really suffering with tennis elbow i will i might recommend them do specific open their hand stuff you know with bands and stuff but actually the stuff that that works for me is doing wrist rolling doing sledgehammer levering all of this stuff that is going to be working the muscle groups that are not worked when I grapple sure, so yeah. that my, the muscle groups that are worked when I grapple are balanced out. And because they're balanced out, I can actually work them a little bit more without having any negative effect. And that is absolutely what you're saying when it pertains yep. to the entire body, which is yeah. wh- whatever you're doing on the mat, what you want to be doing in the weight room is first and foremost, making yeah. sure that your body isn't becoming completely one-sided and then once you've balanced it out, then you could also overload the stuff that you actually are using on the mat a little bit more. But if you just work the stuff that you're working on the mat, then yeah. not only are you going to, you know, you're, basically you're going to only become more dysfunctional uh, yeah. and, and, and less uh, high performing. Yeah. Yeah. That's man. That's I've never, I don't think I've ever really like, I do some grip training, but it's like, it's never really been so like specified in like the complexity of it. It's more along the lines of like, okay, like if I'm picking up heavy barbells, then my grip strength kind of take takes care of itself. And it's not something I've micro analyzed to that extent, but it makes complete perfect sense when you like dissect it a little bit more like that in that, you know, when you're, when you're fighting a guy, when you're grappling with a guy, you're squeezing, you're maybe twisting certain kinds of ways. It's a lot of, it's a lot of flexion. You don't really take your hands through extension and maybe strengthen your wrists in other ways to where you were, you like build up the structural integrity and structural balance to where those muscles can, you know, kind of oppose each other. I find that a lot of injuries that I've personally experienced are usually whenever parts of my body get out of balance with one another. 100%. And, and a lot of guys that I feel like I see that have injuries it's like they get injured and they stay injured because these parts of their body come out of balance with each other. And it's almost like very, it seems like it's very, very easy to see in very common areas. It's like, if you don't have a, if you don't have a butt, you're going to get low back problems. Yeah. Like that's almost, that's almost like an, uh, a when, as opposed to an, if, you know, if you don't have upper back development and your shoulders are anteriorly, you know, rotated in a socket, and you walk around like this, you're going to eventually get shoulder problems and rotator cuff issues, you know? So it's like 
bringing the bounce, like, you know, you take a muscle, you take a, a, a muscle or a joint, you know, muscles around a joint. It's like if the muscles on one side of the joint are strong and the muscles on the other side of the joint are weak, then that joint, like, there's going to be impingement there. There's going to be tendonitis there. Like there's going to be issues that start to happen there. Um, do you, do you, do you do like, I know you do, you do obviously all the variations and grip stuff and it's like, you, you've got really strong, you know, strength now so you can take a bunch of cool videos doing all these cool challenges and people throw shit at you. Um, you do a lot of sandbag stuff also I've noticed, which makes perfect sense. I, I, a friend of mine is a, a, a lightweight, strong, I don't know if I'd call it lightweight because he walks around at like 250-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, you know, like, and that's when he's light, but it's like, you know, light compared to the, the world's strongest man. Yeah. But this guy, he's like 6'1", 6'2", um, shout out Joey. Uh, <laughs> and he's super freaking strong and he, and he rolls a little bit. He just got his blue belt, but he trains mostly strongman style stuff. And I look at him and I'm like, I'm a pretty strong guy, you know, in the context of powerlifting and some strongman stuff. But I look at him and I'm just like, fuck, man, I would never want to roll with that guy. I, I I think about some of the athletes that I think would probably like who could cross over and make some of the best jujitsu jujitsu athletes if they gave their strength, if they gave their strength enough of a backseat to learn the skill and the technique yeah. to where they had both would make some of the most terrifying jujitsu athletes would all be strong men, hands down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just just firstly, before we do that, you're talking about grip strength. I'd love that um, after we finish this, I'll send you yeah. over my, um, I'll send you over my instructional. Because uh, yeah. there's, there's load like when, it, I, I nerd out so much over all of the specifics yeah. on that, but I'd love to, yeah. to, to, to send that over to you. But yeah, when it comes to strong, when it comes to strong men, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, that they, they are, it, it does what it says what it says on the tin right you know they are strong men and it's all uh, super practical yeah i think so and uh, i hope Charity it continues hugging, like that's it you know and i think if anything uh you know that there's been a risk at times of it becoming too much like powerlifting i think the biggest difference between strongman and, and powerlifting is you don't have any dynamic movements, you know, you don't have any moving events like you do in strongman. So, uh, you know, be it the sandbag carry or farmer's walk carry or yoke moving events. So being able to, um, exert that force and that incredible strength whilst you're moving the application on the mat, I think is going to be significantly more. And there have been times where, um, you know, because obviously sort of the world's strongest man event and the Arnold's, which is kind of coming up is sort of almost that the 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 the, the UFC and pride, so to speak. But back in the day, of course, pride was much bigger than the UFC. Yeah. The Arnold would be like the UFC. Uh, but 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 they're like the two biggest events in the world at the moment for strongman. Yeah. And uh, what I've what i saw in the past but it's starting to look like it's it's changing a little bit is they were focusing too much on like the really big deadlifts the really big card uh you know card deadlifts or the big squats and the big overhead presses and what you don't want strongman to become is something like you know something like powerlifting because we have a powerlifting strongman should be different and actually if you look at the old strongman events from the sort of 80s 90s um they were cool man they were cool they were you know, you, you could not, and I think that the reason why it changed so much, and you have these staples now, you have a big deadlift, you have a big squat, you have loading event, um, and you have farmer's walks, you have yoke, you have atlas stones, and, and 
you know, there's like a core events. Whereas at these early world strongest mans, you had no idea what you were getting. They would do steel yeah. bending on the head, and then there'd be <laughs> arm wrestling. I remember uh, uh, sumo wrestling. Uh, Magnus for Magnuson, I think, yeah. broke someone's arm. Sumo yeah. wrestling. You know, yeah. they'd be pulling boats out of docks on pulleys. And yeah. I think that that is the that ethos of having uh, really testing yourself, just having a hard event, an event that a strong man must be strong to do uh is sort of the philosophy of strongman which makes it so applicable to stuff like grappling so yeah the 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 athleticism required in some of those earlier days of strongman i think i think strongman athletes now i think it's becoming more static like you're saying Yeah, yeah and i think that's creating a different athlete it's definitely pushing more uh more chemicals and of those guys, which like I hate to see because it's like they bear the brunt of that, and yeah. people don't people don't like I've been on the other side and I've seen kind of what what goes into the process, and it's like a lot of these guys are, are you know they're getting sick like they I've you know I've seen what's gone into some of the world's strongest man performances and it's like if it if it took a deviation back towards being a little bit more athletic like some of I remember one of the challenges was they had to like run around like a 400 meter track with like Brick, uh, bricks on their back right yeah something it was something like that and it's like you know you couldn't a lot of these strongmen now are doing these lifts they're lifting thousand pounds 1100 like whatever they lift and it's like they got to walk off the stage and get hooked up to an oxygen tank because yeah. they got to breathe and catch their breath like you know watching eddie hit his record and be like carried off, you know, on a stretch or whatever, whatever happened, like be looked at by medical. It's like, you know, it, it like, what are you like giving, like the athletes are always going to rise to the occasion somehow. Like if you give them the test, yeah. they're going to figure out how the fuck to get there and make that happen. It's like, if you changed it a little bit, then they're going to be like, oh shit, well, I can't weigh 400 pounds. Like, I need to maybe weigh 350 and be maybe not as strong, but a little bit more conditioned to where I can work for like a couple of minutes and not be dead kind of thing. And so it's like, yeah, I, get, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think one of the issues that they've had is um, they keep up in the weight of these things. And I yeah. remember watching a, a World's Strongest Man a few years more. ago. And yeah, they just want more. Like this is the idea. We, we, you know, we go back to before about talking about um, talking about making a spectacle. And and it seems that the organizers of these events just thought the audience want they want bigger weight. They don't want six hundred pounds. They want seven hundred pounds. They want eight hundred pounds. You know, they just and and I, I remember watching an event a few years back, uh, maybe three or four years ago. One of the world's strongest men. Because I always, you know, they're, they're, it's great watching. And um, I remember so many athletes getting injured and I just thought, man, this is, this isn't cool. This isn't fun. This isn't nice to watch that they're, they're asking too much of these athletes and the athletes will do it. You know, they're asking too much. And I think that that, that is what happened when they have so many regular, you know, if you have the same three or four events every year, they, then you've got to change it, right? You got, well, that's the same as last year where you've got to make it heavier. This is the heaviest deadlift we've ever done. This is the heaviest squat we've ever done. This is the, you know, the heaviest plane we've ever pulled. Whereas I think if we go back to when they were a lot more varied, I think you're spot on. I think, I think, you know, not that I 
do strongman, compete in strongman, or have any say over what goes yeah. on. But in an <laughs> ideal world, if I ruled the world, then I'd make the strongman events a bit more varied, a little yeah. bit more athletic, a little yeah. bit because we have, you know, we have a time now where the the, the greatest strongmen are almost the the greatest powerlifters. You know, Hathor and Eddie pulling. Obviously, they're they're putting it in a strongman yeah. style, but they're pulling they're they're pulling weights. That you know yeah. that they're, they're, they're putting up records that that hold over powerlifters, and yeah. it should be a different sport. Yeah. Um, but but it is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I agree, man. I agree. I want to uh, and and shout out to Thor. I, I I know him. He's a super cool dude. I funny story. I before the last Arnold that actually happened, it was like a half Arnold, uh, the one in the U.S. Um, I I know his coach Sebastian, and Sebastian hit me up. And, uh, and he was like, Hey, I need to get Thor some new Jordans. He's like, but they don't have them in Australia and they don't have them in Iceland. How big? He was like, you're in Miami. You definitely can grab them. And I, he sent them to me and I was like, shit, these are like really nice shoes. They're like probably like $1,500. I was like, I was like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I found them locally. They're like a size 16 or 17. And, And the funny thing was because they were so big they were like 200 bucks wow <laughs> and like in a size nine or ten because, because nobody like, nobody made them yeah nobody nobody's <laughs> gonna buy them nobody's gonna wear them they're just like this big the box i can't even fit in the screen wow. it's like huge and i like carry this box up there and, and it was so funny to give them to him he's such a he's such a a, a a big, nice, like kind of funny guy. He has a real funny sense of humor. He is um, huge though. <laughs> He's yeah. a level freak guy. Yeah. In person, man, it's crazy. But just to kind of, we're, we're a little bit over an hour, but this has been going really, really well. Kind of want to change the thread a little bit before we kind of uh, close things out. When I think, you know, I look at kind of, and, and this is I'm going to kind of broaden the picture a little bit because I, I can tell you're a pretty philosophical guy having listened to some of your other other uh, your other content you record and things, you know. And I, I like to feel like I am as well, and I do a lot of thinking. I look at kind of culture nowadays and and people and and you know their egos and and you know people's sense of self importance and social media and all this stuff and. You know, and I've listened to a lot of content on jujitsu, and you know, a lot of Rogan stuff. Rogan's done to popularize it, and it's like, and it's good that it's becoming more popular. But it's like, I can't think of something that I feel like the world needs more of mm. than people doing jujitsu to make them more well-rounded humans. Yeah. And I would tie that into. How do you feel like you are different as a person because of this journey you've been on? Yeah, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I think that I always feel like I may be slightly biased when I talk about it. But but even when I try and take the bias out, I still believe it. You know, I, I think yeah. even when I try and be uh, self-critical, I still believe it. Uh, I believe that jujitsu is uh, an incredible, you know, really a truly amazing um whatever you want to call it, sport, art, hobby, lifestyle. Um, I think that yeah, it ticks, yeah, it ticks so many boxes, you know, mm. for even for me on many, many levels, you know, someone oh. who I don't know what it's like to not be a grappler. I don't know what it's like to spend sure. time away from the mat. You know, that, that is, sure. that, that is home to me. Mm. Um, but I think it has something for everyone. And even for me personally, 
it, it does tick so many boxes, even down to, you know, I feel like I am connecting with, with the history of ancient human beings. You know, I, I feel like anthropologically the yeah. grappling and wrestling is something that connects me to ancestors that may even go further back than, than, yeah. than Homo sapiens themselves. You know, I really do feel like it connects me in a way to, 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 to the past and in a very, you know, in a significant way. And, um, you know, so, so that, that's one of the things that it's done for me. And in terms of, you know, making me who I am as a person, I think that you, you know, I think that you, it, it, it's a tool, you know, yeah. jiu-jitsu is a tool and it's a vehicle and you can use that tool in different ways. Yeah. I think me personally, I have taken advantage of that and I've allowed that to, um, you know, you, I believe that you put whatever you put into something, especially jujitsu mm. is what you get out yeah. of it. It, it mirrors what you put in. If you put in a little bit, then it will give you a little bit back. And if yeah. you put in a lot, it will give you a lot back. And if you put in everything, I do believe that, that, that even though it may not look like it at first, it will give you everything back. Yeah. And for me, I put everything into it and I continue to, and it gives everything back to me and it allows me to, um, you know, uh, uh, centers me and allows me to, um, you know, be, be a, be a thinking man, you know, like, like you it's said, like a sense of self. Yeah. You know, it, it, loads of things. It makes you, you know, I, I could rattle on for hours and hours about all yeah. of the positive, positive attributes, but I think mm -hmm. maybe more than anything else, it makes you, it makes me so secure with myself as a person, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it makes me, um, know myself, know what mm -hmm. I can do, know what I can't do, know what I can do against other people and be so sure of myself. I always feel like the, um, it, 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 when a dog attacks another dog, it is because it is scared, yeah. not because it's confident. Sure. And I think that that's true of life. I think yeah. that when people are aggressive, when people are hateful, when Insecure. people are in, yeah, it, I think when, when, when people are sort of all of the negative attributes that you, that you may place uh, in, on a person, I believe that that comes from a place of fear of insecurity yeah of um uh, of a lack of self-confidence mm. and that is something that i believe jiu-jitsu can give to everyone and certainly is something you can never really speak on behalf of other people only yeah. on behalf of yourself but you assume that if it has given me something then it must be able to give uh similar things to similar people yeah. so it definitely uh allows me to be be sure of myself and um you know i think adapt the way and, and combining it you, you can use a jujitsu mentality to see the world through the lens of jujitsu or you take the stories you know there are and i'm sure that's true of everything i'm sure if you're you're if, if surfing is your life then you see the world through the lens of surfing sure. and if chess is your life you see the lens through the world of chess you know i think as myself as a jujitsu athlete when i play chess I see jujitsu on the chessboard and I'm sure that someone who plays chess, who starts jujitsu will see uh, jujitsu, you know, or see jujitsu on the you know, chess on the jujitsu mats. So I think it goes every way for whatever the way that you see the world. But for me anyway, and I believe for many other people, um, it is a, an incredible lens to see the world through. I, and I think about it, right. And I, I think about it and I, I'm big on self-awareness and like self-analyzation and like introspection and I think that like the world nowadays is so fast paced and so distracting that most people never really take very much time 
to introspect and consider themselves and their thoughts and like, like, is this a valid reaction to like maybe a problem? And I think that if you go in and it, just to keep it super simple, if you go into like a dojo or a, a gym or wherever you go in on the mats, you take a person off the street who maybe isn't used to that kind of confrontation and that kind of like, you know, you're either going to dominate someone or get dominated. And, they're not used to that. Like maybe if you have an argument with someone out, out in public, you can kind of like, you know, get the last word or kind of wiggle your way around it or walk away or, you know, someone's texting you, you can ignore a text message and, you know, whatever, and, and kind of get the best of them or however people deal with problems these days. Mm. And, but it's like, if you go in on the mat, the directness of the outcome of the final solution there, it's, most people have never ever gotten that in their entire life. They've never been forced to be confronted with like, you just lost so utterly and completely. And it, it digs up all of these emotions and these insecurities and it like forces them to confront that shit. Mm. And it's like that, that is most like, culture and society nowadays is so built around comfort and being comfortable and avoidance of confrontation and being polite and being politically correct that it's very you don't really get too many spots in life or in in your daily you know daily routine or where have you that you are forced to confront like being beaten so completely and like so so like in your face like you just got your face smashed down you got choked out like mm. if this was real the person could have killed you like there's no way around there's no excuses there's no there's no passing of the blame it was you and this other person it's nobody else's fault it's all on you and like most people have never been forced to be confronted with that kind of a reality and it's like I've seen it happen a few times and it's like, they don't know how to process it. And it like, it's forced, it's this forced kind of maturation, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, every once in a while in, in, in normal day-to-day -day life, uh, a regular person will have something, some event that will be a reality check to them. Mm. And these events can be incredibly, um, uh, deep and meaningful and really yeah. transformative to the individual you yeah. know people can have and, and this can come in many many forms it could be uh you know something happens or you know something you know they have like a near-death experience or they have a, a near tragic event or yeah. even something very simple as you know as someone sees a a picture of themselves and they go and they have a reality set all, all yeah, of a sudden so they have an epiphany now. And they go, yeah. you know, oh, I'm going to change my my entire lifestyle. And these yeah. can be these these potentially small, potentially big events, reality checks, yeah. where they are forced to confront the truth, yeah. nothing to hide behind. And and yeah. and the, these can these can be the the genesis of really big transformative events. Now, on the jujitsu mats, you are given this reality check every <laughs> single day every single yeah. round there are people who may have one or two reality checks in their whole life there are yeah. people who may never have a reality check 
and yeah. these are the people that you would call delusional or live yeah. in a fantasy world. Yeah. It's very hard to do that. Of course, there are people who train. Don't, make, make no mistake. There are people who get many reality checks on the map, but they live in a fantasy world outside of it. But there is definitely something very deep and powerful and meaningful about having a true reality check, a true uh, confrontation with your ego yeah. on the mat every single time you roll. Yeah, like um, this is where you stand. This is exactly where you stand. There's no, you cannot bargain, you know, and, and people try, you know, people yeah. try and make an excuse. But yeah. but these are, you know, people, some, someone might get submitted and they might go, you know, well, you're, you're only doing that because you're bigger than me or, and you go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, uh, you know I, you're having a bad day. I'm having a good day. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, people try and deny everything when they have these reality checks forced upon them. They may try and deny, but the, the, the crux of the matter is that they, these reality checks do happen. And, 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 and there are very few things that will force you out of your comfort zone because that's what it is. You know, what, what is a reality check? It is uh, a, 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 a peek out the window yeah. out of your reality uh, yeah. out of your comfort zone sorry into reality and uh you know that's what jujitsu has a very very um it's very very effective at yeah. is continuing to not just give peaks but push you out in the middle of the night butt naked into outside <laughs> your comfort zone for that reality check dude i i will never you know i'll never forget and, and i'll i'm going to tell you about one of those reality checks i had and then we'll close it out because we i don't want to keep you up too late that's but cool. i will never forget like it was, God, it was like probably the week before I bugged my back, like a month and a half ago. Um, I was, I was rolling and, and we were in class and, you know, doing some rolls and whatnot. And I, had, I was progressing like up until I, I bulged this disc, which is super annoying. I, um, I was progressing very quick, like couple i was doing privates with a guy i know um super cool dude i was picking things up really quick i wasn't they weren't really fighting me any less than like purple belts most days and um and the professor of this class is very very skilled fighter um always going to he does i think doesn't gi and no gi always going to the ibjjf stuff winning the tournaments and stuff he's a master's guy now and super awesome dude um he's like the kind of like the second in command next to cyborg at the gym mm. and um you know obviously very smart and i think i went with a purple belt and like i, I was a I, I won whatever way that whether it was like points or submission i forget but then i fought my first black belt and um and it wasn't just like a run random run of the mill guy it was like a really good guy like this guy straight from brazil didn't speak a lick of english had a bunch of logos all over his gi and stuff and um and dennis was like this was like i i saw them kind of picking people because he was just be like you and you you and you and they pick people to put them together and he goes you go against this guy and i'm like okay like whenever i roll i I very much go at like 60, 70%, like with strength wise, like I'm, I'm trying to move quick and be athletic and stuff, but it's like very much a training pace. Like I'm not, I think of that, how I would think of like training for powerlifting, like a meet, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm listening to the heavy metal. I'm sniffing the ammonia. I'm getting into that headspace. but like, you know, training, I'm not, you know, half the time I don't even listen to that intensive music and, and I'm not using ammonia, you know, I'm not doing anything crazy. Um, Etc. So like I take the same kind of intensity approach to my role. So I'm, I get paired with this guy and I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like 
he's probably going to like take it easy on me you know we'll we'll like you know tussle a little bit and uh you know he's like i i feel pretty okay and um you know, like, obviously this guy's going to kick my ass, whatever. And, uh, and I would, I'm not going to try to like, you know, go to cool. I'm not going to like bull rush him or anything. So we start and, uh, and he, he just sits down, pulls guard. And, um, and I like, you know, I get in his guard or whatever. And like 10 seconds, I went to like, go like grab his head or grab his collar. And I extended my arm out, big, big mistake. <laughs> And he grabs it, wrist locks the shit out of me. I didn't even have time to tap. I just go, ah. <laughs> and and I went and so I like started to pick up the pace. And dude, it was terrifying. I like, I like it was such it was one of those profound experiences. I quit, I realized super quickly, like he he wasn't going any, he was going like a hundred percent competition speed mm. and like i don't know you know i i think about like other guys psychology and maybe they look at me and they think this big strong white belt this guy's gonna go mm. super crazy on me maybe there's the, the problem yeah like it's happened it happens and um, more often than usually more than it more than it doesn't so i gotta be kind of mindful of like that because guys get real amped up when they go against me not realizing that I'm like very calm and very, you know, methodical. And so there's probably a little bit of that plus maybe a little bit of like, in no way, shape or form, am I going to let this guy kind of best me like a little bit of a test, maybe like skill versus strength. He was pretty strong though, but in about 30 seconds, I realized how underwater I was with this guy mm -hmm. to the point that like, like I sat there and he did that a couple of times and he wasn't doing it light either. Mm. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, like I could legit, like he wasn't, he wasn't like, he was going to sink the submission if he got it. And I was like, I was like, I could legit get fucked up right now. And I like, and cause you know, this guy, he was, he was probably, he could have been visiting from Brazil. I don't know how they train down there at his gym. If it's like doggy dog, you know, I don't know how those guys go down there. And he didn't really speak that much English. And, um, and I sat there and like, I don't know if I've like, I've been in some altercations before, you know, but I don't know if I've ever felt that, like, I don't know how I'd say it, like underwater physically fighting. Yeah, vulnerable. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. Like, and, and so it quickly became like, okay, let's just survive and not get submitted kind of thing. Like I, I got my shit together mentally, but I was like, I've never felt that like outclassed with how his movements were just so precise. He knew exactly where he, if he saw something, he knew exactly where he was going, like what he was going for, like knew exactly when to do it when I was in a certain position to where, like if he if he went for it, he was gonna get it because he waited for the right moment in time. Like the timing was there, and like I I after he got a couple of wrist locks, got an arm bar, and after that I was just like straight up right here, fucking not <laughs> not going anywhere vulnerable. Like I quickly learned where to not put my arm, and we got done. I thanked him and I asked him. I got a guy to ask him in Portuguese like how long you've been fighting for, and he been like 13, 15 years, wow. and also. 
also was like a, a welterweight Muay Thai champion down there and mm-hmm. something for like the same mm-hmm. amount of time. And like he, I, he like pulls up his shirt, shows me a tattoo on his shoulder of the fucking predator. And he's like, <laughs> uh, my, my nickname predator. And I'm like, <laughs> who the fuck did they put me with? And I like, I left dude. And like, I've like, I'm a very humble guy, you know, I very much like, don't really think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm just, you know, some people I go to a, an expo and because I've power lifted or lifted certain weights, they like think that's cool. And they want to take a photo or talk to me. And like a lot of people on social media and a lot of people on the internet will just run away with that in their own head and think they're yeah. all kinds of shit. And like, I still very much get surprised when someone, if I'm at an expo, um, you know, by like the animal cage or whatever. And someone's like, Hey, you're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, like, who are they talking, you know, to me? And it's like really odd, but I, and so like, I'm very, you know, humble in that regard, but I don't think I had experienced like a fucking shot to the ego, like rolling with that guy was. And I left thinking like, dude, that guy could have like seriously fucked me up if he wanted Mm. to. And it was like, and I think that that's why Dennis put me with him because I yeah. he wasn't gonna say it, but like I think like you know maybe they recognized that like I I could be you know decent if I wanted to, and I think he wanted to like test me a little bit, yeah. like test me mentally a little bit, and see how I would handle that. And like for about like ten to fifteen minutes afterwards, like I did, I went in the bathroom and I like splashed some water on my face, and I was like. I was like, all right, motherfucker. <laughs> but but that like I hadn't I hadn't had that yet. I've I've lost a guy, so I've been choked out a couple of times, but not to the point that it was so one-sided as that. Yeah, and that's it. And you know, when when that sort of scenario happens, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. Yeah. It may not be exactly like that, but something similar. Yeah. But you know, it's it's all about how you, you know, it's it's a cliche adage, but it's you know, it's not about how you get knocked down. It's about how you get back up. And yeah. it's not how you, it's not how you get humbled or how that reality check happens. It's what you yeah. do with that afterwards and how you use that yeah. a positive or a negative yeah. or you try and bury it. And, and, yeah. and, you know, that's it. We get, we get faced with lots of those all the time on the mats. Yeah. And it was like 15, 20 minutes afterwards, I was driving home and, and it was funny because like initially it was like, holy shit, like reality check, whatever. And then, afterwards after i kind of like thought about it i was like huh well like it can probably it could probably get a little bit worse than that but it probably can't get too much worse than that i was like so you kind of probably just experienced about you know how bad you can get your ass kicked and if it's not that worse than that and that's what it is then there's not really a whole lot else to be afraid of and it's like you pretty much just like broke the ice so to speak in you know like okay you fought you know a, probably a higher level guy that's how it went and so pretty much most stuff that you come across is going to be way less than that and it's like it was like i was listening to a podcast with uh stephen thompson and joe rogan uh wonder boy the the mma fighter yeah. and he was talking about how he had never been knocked out in his mma career and then he got knocked out for the first time, like against a fighter a couple of years back. And he was like, you know, I was actually like, he was like, it sucked getting knocked out, but he was like, I was more so relieved than anything after it. Because he was the like, pressure I, is gone. Yeah, yeah. He was like relieved because I was wondering like what it was going to be like or how it was going to be or like what, what it was going to look like and all this stuff. And he's like, after it happened, it happened. And like, 
it was almost more of a relief because it was like, damn, like it wasn't that bad or it was over with. He was like, I kept wondering what fight it was going to happen. And mm -hmm. he's like, and then it happened. And it's like, yeah, I feel like, like a weight is off my chest now kind of thing. Well, was, you know, uh, some, sometimes the fear of something can actually become yeah, a bigger enough. monster than the thing yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, and once it gets to that level, yeah, you know, you can have something, you, you, you worry about this terrible thing happening to you. And, and the fear becomes so powerful that in the end, the thing happens to you and you're relieved to get it over with because yeah. obviously it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. But yeah, yeah you know, I, I've, I've been there as well. You know, I've been under Roger Gracie's mount. Yeah. Uh, and I think Roger, you know, being underneath Roger Gracie's mount when he's trying to crush you might actually in the gear as well might actually be the single worst place that anyone could possibly ever be in jiu-jitsu. So I don't think it can get worse than that. I think that's yeah. the pinnacle. Yeah. Well, well, damn, man. Well, that like I we covered we covered a lot of shit. You know, I'm really happy to have gotten you on. Um, this was super cool. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, some some complex things in jujitsu, strength and conditioning, you know, some different heuristics and things. Um, thank you so much for coming on. If you want uh, plug your Instagram, uh, you know, your grip training program, all that stuff. Where can people find you at? Um, and, and any, anyone you want to give credit to all that jazz. Yeah, sweet. Firstly, thank you very much for having me on. It's been an absolute blast, uh, a real pleasure chatting with you. Uh, yeah, if you want to find me, uh, most of my content is out on Instagram, which is at raspberry underscore ape. Um, and yeah, you can reach me on there. I also have a YouTube channel, which is, uh, youtube.com forward slash raspberry. But if you search raspberry, you'll only ever find me. And then my website is raspberry.com. And I do have a, a, a grip training instructional on there, um, at the moment, which is, uh, in video format. And, uh, you can find that on raspberry.com and I'll, I'll shoot you a message, um, after this okay. and I'll get one sent out to you as well. Cool, dude. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, my pleasure. Um, you know, I, I, for everybody listening, I hope you guys enjoy this one. This was one of the first kind of jujitsu martial arts oriented podcasts I've done. Um, so, you know, whenever you listen to it, make sure to go follow Dan, uh, check out his page, check everything out, like, share, tag us, uh, <laughs> so on and so forth. Um, later, guys, that is it.